this morning. Our first reading is from Luke 15, and for some of you, this chapter contains one of your favorite stories in the Bible. In this chapter, Jesus tells some stories, and one of them is the story of the prodigal son. How many of you know that story? How many of you, it's one of your favorite stories? A few of you? Well, Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, and before that, he tells another parable about a woman who loses a coin. And before that, he tells another parable about a shepherd who loses one of his 99 sheep. And our reading this morning is what comes right before those three parables. Now, all of the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told them this parable. Actually, the three parables. And our second reading is a little later in the gospel story. It's from Mark's gospel. And Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And when he goes into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple. And some of you know what happens when Jesus goes into the temple in Jerusalem, right? Some of your heads are nodding. Last night, people were going like this. Jesus came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Beloved people of God, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When we kicked off this this sermon series, Pastor Rye invited us to think a little bit about, about New Year's resolutions. And I didn't make any New Year's resolutions this year. I'm not very good at keeping them. Um, but I did start something about the middle of January. I started running and biking again. That's something that I give up for hunting season. And so I kind of a, a late resolution. But I did see one New Year's resolution online that really caught my attention. This year, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to hang out with sinners. I want to upset religious people. I want to tell stories that make people think. I want to choose unpopular friends. I want to be kind, loving, and merciful. And the last one, I want to take naps on boats. Do you have a boat I could nap on? Sure, okay, good, good. Doesn't that sound like a good resolution? It's a resolution that is rooted in our first gospel reading. I want to hang out with sinners like Jesus did. And I want to upset religious people like Jesus did. 
just before he told them stories that make, make people think. And next week, Pastor Kevin is going to preach on one of those stories in Luke 15 that makes people think. Jesus made trouble by eating with the wrong people. Tables are powerful places. They're powerful symbols. With whom you eat and where you eat, that communicates a lot. And Jesus was criticized because he was eating, eating with those people that the religious leaders had had pushed aside. And yet Jesus ate with them, shared food with them, shared God's love and grace with them. Tables are powerful places. Some of you may recognize this table. Anybody know what this table is? It's the table at Woolworths in Greensboro, North Carolina. Sixty years ago yesterday, I didn't know this story, but I invite you to to watch and listen. In the 1950s, in the shadow of segregation, blacks and whites lived separate lives, separate schools, neighborhoods, restaurants. What was so different about us that would cause us to be so unattractive that people would just close the doors? And just like today, some people thought it was time for change. There comes a time when you have to stand up. For Joseph McNeil, Franklin McCain, and their two college dorm mates, that time was February 1st, 1960, the day they walked into a Greensboro Woolworths and sat down at the segregated lunch counter. If I were lucky, I would be carted off to jail for a long, long time. If you were lucky? If I were lucky. And if I were not so lucky, then I would be going back to my campus in a pine box. It was an act of defiance that shocked everyone. The waitress saw us, I think, immediately when we sat. But she was so stunned. Remember exactly what she said to you? You boys can't be served. You're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. How would you describe the way you were feeling? Were you nervous, scared, exhilarated? I certainly wasn't afraid. And I wasn't afraid because I was too angry to be afraid. That day, a movement began. We're not going to leave until you serve us. So we sat there. Woolworths closed early, but the young men returned each day after that. They were soon joined by thousands of supporters and the Ku Klux Klan. What was the the worst thing anybody said to you, anybody did to you? They used every negative word, a curse word, a nigger go back to Africa. But there was one woman both say they will never forget. An elderly white woman probably uh, in her, I'd say, 70s or 80s. She whispered in a calm voice, Boys, I am so proud of you. It was the first sustained sit-in of the civil rights era. Woolworths desegregated six months later. The Greensboro Four had inspired sit-ins in 78 cities across the South and motivated other college students to become freedom riders, which is why that lunch counter ended up here at the Smithsonian. Where you eat, with whom you eat, 
communicates a lot. And I think those folks who were doing that sit-in were doing so in the spirit of Jesus. Jesus who goes into the synagogue in Nazareth and he opens the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he reads these words that, and this is what causes him to get run out of town. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. You see, Jesus makes trouble whenever Jesus sees that God's people are not being treated the way that that God wants them to be treated. Jesus makes trouble whenever people who are created in the image of God are dishonored and disrespected. Jesus makes trouble at the table. That's why I'm so grateful every Wednesday at Bethlehem for the trouble of Wednesday night supper. When people are, who are hungry and lonely, whether they're part of this congregation formally or not, when they're welcome to the table, when in the spirit of Jesus the hungry are fed, Jesus makes trouble at the table and he makes trouble at the temple too. Our reading from Mark, Jesus' time in the temple comes towards the end of his ministry. And in fact, what Jesus does in the temple brings about the end of his ministry in Mark's narrative. As Mark tells the story of Jesus. And this reading from from Mark about Jesus going into the temple, it never shows up in the schedule of readings that were many churches read from the, the lectionary. This, this passage never shows up, and I've never preached on this before, so as I was preparing, I had to do some, some studying and learning about it. After Jesus turns over the tables, he says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus is quoting again the first part of this from Isaiah. From Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. You can, remind it real, you can remember it really easily if you want to go look it up later. Just remember 5, 6, 7. Isaiah 56, 7. Where it says, My house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. And actually, Isaiah is talking about this amazing welcome where the people who have been excluded are going to be welcomed. And he talks about all kinds of people who have been excluded like foreigners and eunuchs and things that we don't like to talk about being welcomed. And after Jesus quotes this passage, Mark tells us that when the chief priests and the scribes saw Jesus making this trouble, They kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him. The whole crowd is spellbound by his teaching. One of the people that I was uh, learning from and and reading is a guy named Tom Wright. He used to be the Bishop of Durham in the United Kingdom in the Church of England, and he wrote this book about 20 years ago over on the other side of the pond. And what he wrote helped me to understand what's happening in Mark's gospel and I want to invite you to put on your thinking hat a little bit and follow with me here, okay? 
This is N.T. Wright, Tom Wright. He says that part of Jesus' charge against his fellow Jews was that Israel as a whole had used its vocation to be the light of the world. You see, Israel was to be the light of the world. That was the plan. As an excuse for hard, narrow, nationalistic piety and politics in which the rest of the world was to be not enlightened but condemned. So Israel was supposed to be the light of the world and instead they were using that vocation against others. And the temple had been intended to symbolize God's dwelling with Israel for the sake of the world. And the way Jesus' contemporaries had organized things, it had come to symbolize not God's welcome to the nation, but God's exclusion of them. And the guardians of the temple itself were notorious for their rich, oppressive lifestyles. Violence towards outsiders and injustice towards Israel itself, that is what the temple had come to mean. Jesus' only word for that place was one of judgment. And it's really common for for folks to look at this and, and criticize religious institutions these days. And there's a place for that. But Tom Wright says that Jesus' protest was far deeper. And if we applied it today, it wouldn't just be the churches that ought to tremble, but law courts and legislative assemblies, royal palaces and banking centers. Remember, he's in England, so he doesn't know how to spell center like we do. The places where power is so often yielded for the benefit of the already powerful and downtreading of the already powerless. The places where the people with power or wealth turn in on themselves instead of outward in generosity toward the world. That's where Jesus wants to strive today to turn over tables and drive out traitors. He's writing 20 years ago in England. And yet, those words provided just some understanding of Jesus in the temple that I had never, never thought about. Is it not written, Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers? Jesus is our brighter light, and our brighter light makes trouble. Makes trouble when people are not treating each other with the respect and honor, with the truth and the honesty that God wants for us. Jesus makes trouble when the image of God in our neighbor is run over and denied. So this year, will you join me? Will you join me in being more like Jesus? In hanging out with sinners? Upsetting religious people? Telling stories that make people think? Being kind and loving and merciful? Maybe even a nap in the boat. 
And I have to say that I am so grateful that this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Because that means that I'm welcome. I'm welcome at the table. And dear friends, so are you. Won't you pray with me? God, as we gather here in this epiphany season, as we think about Jesus as the light of the world and the light of our lives, may his light shine for us in the midst of darkness and deception, in the midst of division and dishonesty. May your light shine, the light of Jesus, even when it makes us uncomfortable. And God, we give you thanks that you you welcome us to the table, the table of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.